had never accomplished before. When I was 12 years old, for the first time in my life, I got a girlfriend. Thank you, thank you. Um, I, I remember it well, though I had, you know, I had crushes on girls before. Uh, it wasn't until I was 12 that I was actually able to procure a girlfriend. And uh, I was in sixth grade. She was in seventh grade. I mean, isn't that, isn't that pretty impressive? Yeah? I've always liked the older girls. I won't tell you if Camille's older than me or not, but you can, you can imagine. Um, but I remember, well, her name was Caitlin. I won't say her last name. I'm, I'm going to protect the uh, innocent in this story. But I think we must have met when I was 11 and she was 12, and I was in fifth grade and she was in sixth grade, because where I went to school, uh, we had multi-grades. Fifth and sixth grade were together. And so I remember just vaguely, um, like, Christmas party that year in, in our classroom. And all that stands out to me was... was uh, the song Feliz Navidad. You know that song by Jose Feliciano? And I remember after that Christmas party, over Christmas vacation, I would just sing that over and over and over again in my head because it reminded me of her. And uh, we weren't an item at that point. But one of the other things that jumps out at me was that uh, every Christmas, my dad and my mom would put on what we called in our religious vernacular, a Christmas social. It wasn't a Christmas party, it was a Christmas social. And my dad, who was a pastor, would invite all of his church members over to our home, and we would do neighborhood caroling, and we would have Christmas games. And Caitlin actually came to it, which was just unheard of, because we didn't have any girls at my dad's church, and so to have a girl come to the Christmas social was just unbelievable. It was awesome. So eventually over time, we started chatting on the phone, and I was just reminiscing about this the other day, which is why this all came up in my memory, because we were talking with somebody about talking on the phone in those long, awkward moments of silence. You know what I'm talking about? When you're like 11 years old, 12 years old, and you're on the phone, and you're just like, there's silence, and then you're like, well, it was a sunny day today, huh? You know, so we would have those moments, and then somewhere along the line... I worked up my courage to ask her that utterly dreaded question that I was so nervous about. I finally worked up the courage, and I think it was probably over the phone. I said, Caitlin, will you go out with me? Now, that's the term we use. I don't know what term kids use these days. I know my parents' generation, it was, you're going steady, right? Wasn't that the expression? When I was a young man, it was going out. We weren't actually going anywhere because, you know, we couldn't drive anywhere being 12 years old. It was just like, we are committed to one another. We are committed to one another. And much to my utter shock and surprise, she said yes. And that just was so exciting to me. And this was going to last forever. We were going to commit to one another for the rest of our lives. And then a week later, we broke up. (laughs) Forever did not last forever, did it? It had a very limited shelf life. I think we broke up over the phone as well. But uh, that was the first experience I had with love. And in my mind, when it all started, it was going to be forever. It was going to be forever. But what I discovered really quickly in that young age is that forever, for human beings, is a very limited time, isn't it? You know, we all have 
probably had experiences with young love when we were younger, where we had those moments of, you know, we dated somebody for a week or two or a month or even a year or two, but it doesn't last forever, does it? Sometimes when we get older, it doesn't last forever. Sadly, I'm sure many of us could share those stories of, of love that had an expiration date. Some of us, no doubt, come from homes where our parents didn't stay together. The, the vows till death do us part were limited and had an expiration date. Or even in the non-romantic realm, we have friendships that, for some reason, for whatever reason, they have a terminus. They don't go on forever. Sometimes we have a religious experience. Some of us have been a part of religious systems that have had an expiration date on their acceptance of us. We engage in certain behaviors, and they push us out to the curb. We don't act in the way that they want us to act, and their investment in us, their commitment to us, is limited and has a terminal date. And so we've had that baggage in our lives where, where we've learned not to trust people because they're just going to hurt us in the end. They are not going to remain committed to us. And so we pull back and we don't invest in people because we've been hurt by them too many times. I want to introduce you, this is probably a very simple and easy cliche, a very, a very simple transition. I want to introduce you to a concept in what I believe is the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, these, this collection of, of stories and poems and, and all sorts of writing that points us to this overarching narrative. Last week we spent a little time discussing this story behind the story. Right? We're, we're, we realize that we're not just going through life ho-hum and mundane and we go, go through our nine-to-five job and we, we grow up and we have a family and we have, we have grandchildren and then we retire and then we die and maybe if this God thing is true, we'll, we'll someday wake up and have, have eternal uh, uh, journey with God. That there's actually something else going on, a story behind the story, this big God narrative. And there's a word that is, encapsulates a lot of this whole story, and that is a very simple word called covenant. Have you ever heard that word before? Covenant. I'm sure we've, we've used it before, we've heard it before, we've maybe even understood it, those of us who have some familiarity with the Bible. This word covenant, you and I theoretically, we engage in covenant a lot, and yet we break covenant a lot, don't we? We enter into relationships with people where we are seeking to honor our vows and our agreements with them. We do that when we stand up at the marriage altar and we say, till death do us part, and then sometimes we don't follow through with that. But at the very center of this God story, as we go from the beginning to the end, is this overarching theme of covenant. You see, one of the issues that is, that is being that is being discussed, and one of the issues that is being pursued is, is God who he says he is? And is he, at the very core, is he a God of covenant? Is he a God of commitment? There's this quote that I really love. It actually just came out by a friend of mine who, uh, he, he published this book literally last week. Let's see if we can get this working. 
Maybe not. Here we go. Oops. By my friend Ty Gibson. It says, covenant involves living with unbreakable, what's the next term there? Relational integrity. To say that God is a God of covenant is to say that God is relationally faithful to all others above and before himself and at any and all cost to himself. So I feel like we skipped, we missed a slide there maybe. Jeff, can you back up? Okay, maybe not. Go next one. Covenant is therefore a biblical word that communicates God's core identity, his essential character. To the question, who is God? The Bible answers, God is covenantally faithful. Now, what we see in the story of Scripture, as we start at the very beginning, is that God actually exists in covenant amongst himself. You see, God is three persons in one, the Bible teaches. There's Father, there's Son, and there's Holy Spirit. And the three of them live in covenant relationship with themselves. They are committed to the well-being of one another. And so that overflows into human existence as well. God is eternally committed to the best interests of his creatures. And so out of that, that commitment, we see what happened in the very beginning. Adam and Eve, the very first human beings, the Bible the Bible proposes, they broke covenant with God. You see, and we'll develop this a little bit more next week, but at the very core of what it means to be a part of, of creation, God's creation fundamentally operates on this basis of covenant. In order for human life and in order for universal life to flourish, we must be living in this experience of covenant where we are looking out for the best interests of other people. If you and I are looking out for our own best interests, eventually there'll be no more to, to, to give because we'll just be taking and taking and taking. But God's way of life operates on the fundamental premise of giving, 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 remaining committed. That's why when we stand up and we say, till death do us part, what we're basically saying at the marriage altar is, I am more committed to your well-being than mine. And if, if, there's a, if there's an issue between whether it's good for me or if it's good for you, I am committed to your best interests. And this is God's fundamental nature. And so when Adam and Eve, it says they ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, as the Bible teaches, God, even though they broke covenant with him, did he break covenant with them? No, he remained committed to them, and he said, I am committed to your well-being. I am committed to your future. I'm going to send a rescuer to come and deliver you. Even though you've turned your back on me, even though you've run away from me, I'm not going to go the opposite direction. God said, I am committed to you till death do me part, even if it means death to myself. We see that traced out through the rest of Scripture. We know the story of Noah. Noah, some of us perhaps have an unfortunate impression of the story of Noah. But when God sent a flood, it was precisely because he was committed to humanity. Because if God had not intervened, what would have happened? The world would have self-destructed. And so God said, I am so committed to you that I'm going to raise up a man named Noah, and I'm going to preserve humankind. And so Noah built this boat, and they get on the boat, eight of them, and it was way, God's way of saying, I am remaining committed to you so that humankind can be preserved. Otherwise, you guys would self-destruct. 
Now, even after the flood, Noah, though he was, he was God's man, the last picture we see of Noah is him being in his little tent, naked and drunk. So Noah, that, 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 that's a picture of somebody who's not remaining faithful to God in, in, the, in the understanding of Scripture. But nevertheless, God remained committed to Noah and his, his line. And we see, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the story of Abraham. God called this man Abraham to be a blessing to the world. And he made promises to Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless the world through your family. Abraham had some hiccups, didn't he, along the way? And yet God kept covenant with Abraham. He remained committed to Abraham and his seed. Now, not long after Abraham arose what is known as the children of Israel. The children of Israel were the people that God was going to bless the world through, the, the offspring of Abraham, that God was going to be able to share the good news of his covenant with the world. And he's promised them a place in the Middle East, in Canaan. And he said, from, from this place, throughout all the world, will go my message of my commitment to humankind. Now, what happened to the children of Israel? They, did they keep covenant? They broke covenant again and again and again and again. And yet still, God remained faithful to them. He remained faithful and committed in covenant with them. Not long after that, the children of Israel came into the land of Canaan, and they rejected God's relational way of operation. They said, you know what? We want a king. Give us a king to rule over us. And God said, you know what? You're not rejecting. It was through a prophet Samuel that they told that. He said, you're not rejecting Samuel, you're rejecting me. You're rejecting my covenantal way of of living. And yet, did God remain faithful to them? Notice through the prophets, if we'll advance to the next slide, Jeff, there's all these awesome passages through these men that were called prophets, men and women who were called prophets. God expressing and communicating to them that he was remaining faithful. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. He says, though everything else goes to pot, though everything else messes up, and and even though there could be turmoil and upheaval, I'm going to remain committed to you. My covenant of peace will not be removed. He goes on to say, continuing, says the Lord who has what? Compassion on you. This is a God who has compassion. He has has covenant. He keeps covenant. Notice what else Isaiah says. Next slide. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make a what? An everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. David was one of those kings who was was rose up. Is it working now? Just got to turn it on. That always helps. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff for remaining committed to me, in covenant with me. Thank you. This is all planned. Thank you, Jeff. Um, David was one of those kings who, though he was, he was evil and he had many, many sad pages in his life, God remained, in, remained committed to David. And he goes on to say, and I will make, this is now in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will, check this out, that I will not turn away from doing them good. Isn't that an awesome promise? God says, I am in covenant relationship with you. I am committed to you. And I'll never turn away from doing you good. But I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. One of the things that God wanted was for us to respond 
in, in, in the same way, that we would respond with God with relational integrity. But have we done that? We can look at the world around us and we recognize that we live in a web of relationships that lack integrity, don't we? The world is an upheaval because we operate without relational integrity. But God says, this is the promise I've made to you. I'm committed to you. I'm never going to stop doing you good. And even though you keep turning away from me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to enter into your life so that I help you keep covenant with me. And we'll explain that a little bit more here in a second. But he says, yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land, speaking of Canaan, in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. Now, the ultimate, the ultimate reflection and revelation of God's covenant commitment to us is that he promised that he would send a rescuer to lift us out of the mess that we're in. The rescuer who would do two things. He would, one, reveal God's covenant commitment to us, and he would, at the same time, this rescuer, fulfill, as a human being, covenant faithfulness to God. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came both as the fulfillment of God's covenant to us and as humanity's covenant with God. Check this out. This is actually a really awesome promise in the book of Isaiah, speaking of Jesus. I, the Lord, have called you, he's speaking of Jesus, in righteousness, and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a what? Covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to be the fulfillment of this covenant promise. He came to, to, again, show God's heart of covenant commitment to us and at the same time achieve for us that which we could not do for ourselves and that is live with relational integrity towards God and towards other human beings. So that when you and I, when you and I, we respond with our hearts and we say, man, I want to, I want to, I want to journey with this, this God You and I, we join up with Jesus and his faithfulness becomes our faithfulness. As his his love is poured into our hearts, we learn to be faithful people. We learn to be committed people. We learn to live out that covenant by his grace. Now, that's actually one of the big questions that scripture is grappling with. Some people, when they come along and they read the Bible, they think the whole point of the Bible is to figure out how I can be saved. That's what a lot of Christians think. And when they read the New Testament, what they, what, they, what they gather is that that's the main question that is being asked. Okay, what do I need to do to be saved? And yet the interest of the Bible, many throughout the whole pages, is, is God who he says he is? Is he a God of covenant faithfulness? Is he a God who remains committed? And when he makes a promise, does he make good on his promise? And so if you were to take the Bible, and there's two sections, what we see is the Old Testament, the so-called Old Testament, is God making promises. I am committed to you. I am remaining faithful to you. I will never give up on you. Though you turn away from me, I am remaining faithful to you. The New Testament is, see, this is how I've been faithful to you. This is how I am remaining committed to you. And Jesus came as the ultimate revelation of God's covenant faithfulness to us. Check this out. The book of Romans, Paul writing this, He says, true, he's speaking of the children of Israel. He says, some of them were what? Unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful, 
Does that mean God will be unfaithful? He says, of course not, no way. Even if everyone else is a liar, even if everybody cannot be trusted and their word cannot be depended on, God is true, as the scriptures say about him. Now check this out, this is really cool. You will be proved right, this is speaking of God, in what you say, and will win your case in court. God's in court? Yes, the question is, is God who he says he is? When it's all said and done, will we be able to look back and say, oh yeah, God was faithful all along. God remained committed to humankind. When God said he would, he, would, he would stay committed to us, he remained faithful to us. I love this quotation from this, this really smart guy. He's a lot smarter than I am. So smart that he can write like three paragraphs that are a single sentence. <laughs> Some people will have a hard time reading him because he has like the longest run-on sentences ever. But anyway, notice this. He says, the great story, check it out, it's a story. The great story of scripture from creation and covenant right on through the new Jerusalem, is constantly about God's overflowing, generous, creative love, God's concern, if you like, for the flourishing and well-being of everything else, including creation, be both animate and inanimate life. God is always giving out, pouring out, lavishing generous love and on undeserving people, undeserving Israel and an undeserving world, that is the sort of God he is. He is keeping covenant with us. He is remaining faithful to us. But here's the deal. Here's the deal, friends. When we feel embraced by that covenant faithfulness of God, it transforms us to also be people of covenant faithfulness. You know what I'm finding is that the older I get, the more I'm longing for relational experiences where people are faithful to me. You know what I'm saying? People will, will be committed to me. People will, when they say they're going to do something, they do something. And so when God's heart is poured into our hearts, we become a community of covenantally faithful people. You know, that's one of the things about being community, isn't it? That's one of the things about being committed to one another is that when we allow God's covenant faithfulness to stir our hearts, we reach out and commit ourselves to other people. And one of the things I've been enjoying the last few years is as, as we have transitioned our ministry in our lives and, and we're seeking Camille and I, and, and many of you, to live lives of mission and discipleship, is I've gone from having an experience where I'm just doing random ministry to committing to people. And whether it's Jim or Mike or Tom or whomever, Jose, hey, let's get together every week, once a week. And that has transformed my own experience because it's as we journey together in covenant faithfulness that you and I can grow and we can, we can learn to love better and be kinder, more gentler people. There's this quote, one more quote, and then I'm going to share a story, and then we're going to wrap up. This is quoted in Brene Brown's most recent book. To grow to adulthood, adulthood as a social species is not to become autonomous and solitary. That's one of the challenges we have in Western society, isn't it? 
We think that we're, we're so ruggedly individualistic that I just need to worry about myself. But to grow into adulthood is to become the one on whom others can depend. Isn't that scary, actually, a little bit? <laughs> Whether we know it or not, check this out. Whether we know it or not, our brain and biology have been shaped to favor this outcome. That's interesting. This is a neuroscientist saying this, by the way. We have actually been designed to flourish and live on this type of dependable relational integrity. And we're going to talk about this next week. But that's the way the universe was designed. We were, not, we were designed to live only receiving nothing but love. But the world has unfortunately gone the other direction. Well, this all was very acutely brought home to me a few weeks ago when I was interacting with a friend of mine. Um, this friend of mine, and this is not the most remarkable thing about him, but one of the notable things about him is that he is gay. And um, he is, though, at the same time committed to a life of celibacy and singleness. And you can ask him for why, why not. But uh, he has committed to that, that life. But it doesn't come without its cost, because he was just sharing with me last week, there's so many times where he comes home, and he just wishes there was somebody there that he could talk to, somebody who could, could encourage him, somebody who could, could uh, lift him up and tell him it's going to be all right. So, so his longing for companionship is not a sexual thing, necessarily. It's just like all of us, we want companionship, don't we? And God created us to be relational people. And it's no less true of those who are not heterosexual. But he was telling me a story as, a, as an illustration. And I'm not, don't misunderstand me, I'm not making any statements about the rightness or wrongness of whatever. I'm just telling you the experience that he has. But he shared with me this story that was just so heartrending. But it's a, an amazing picture of this whole idea of God's covenant faithfulness. I'm just going to read for you what he wrote to me. He said, I recently met someone who's gay, but has an incredible group of friends, straight ones. But among them, he has one that's closer to his heart than all the others. This other guy is straight and recently got engaged and is going to marry in the winter. And my friend says that the day after his friend got engaged to his fiance, check this out, that his friend invited him for dinner and after dinner, they're in his living room. The straight guy, who is soon to be married, he held his hands and told him how meaningful his friendship was to him and how much he loved him and that he thinks it was Jesus who brought them together to point one another to Christ. And he made a vow to him, to my friend, to always include him as an integral part of his life. And while they no longer live together, they were roommates for years, but he just moved to the apartment he'll live in with his soon-to-be wife, that he'll always be a part of his family, and that he is committed to make life with him, and that they'll always live in the same city because he doesn't want to live life without him. Isn't that a weird story? My friend told me that as he heard the story from his friend, he said he just started crying just started bawling. He said, man, I long for that type of life. I long, if I'm going to remain single, that doesn't mean I can't have close friends that commit to me and they, 
I mean, imagine if we like literally, I, I've been debating this idea. What if we like literally made vows? Like we had ceremonies. Does that sound weird? We're like, Cameron and I stand up and we say, till death do us part. You see, we live in a culture that gets freaked out by that. But I don't think that's a foreign concept to the Bible. I don't think that, we, we've so sexualized everything that we can't see the beauty of committed friendship. But you know, that's the type of God we have. The type of God who says, till death do us part. I'm committed to you. I am in covenant relationship with you. Even if you break covenant with me, I will never stop being committed to you. So what of it? If we're, if we're going to be, if, if we're going to have any community here together, we're grateful that you keep coming back. If we're going to have community together, are we going to be people of God's covenant who are committed to him and committed to one another as, as we're able to show the world, which doesn't do this very well, what God's covenant commitment actually looks like. Will we embody it ourselves? Will we stick with people through thick and thin as we allow God's heart to be poured out in ours? I hope that you and I can journey together like that. Only as we receive God's heart, though. We can't make it up on our own, right? We've shown it time and time again that we fail over and over again. So, let's sing together.